Hey, Greg, very nice to meet you. It's <laughs> even though we've been in contact a lot this year, somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. But I uh, last time I saw you was over two, two years ago. That's correct. Yeah, at the uh, the the uh, the whirlwind uh, visit you gave to the <laughs> to the tapping course because of the the visa issues. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So Greg, like even though I first met you in like '98 or so, I think it's been a really long time. Um, yeah. I do not know so much about your background as a mathematician, which I'm really interested in. Even though, like, uh, I guess there's pretty much a limited knowledge on my end. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, like one idea for this series of conversations is to um, just you know, I want to just go by my intuition to find out about the people uh, that I'm interested in, in terms of like, what is it, what you do and what led you to where you are? Um, like, you know, having heard from you that you even invented a new kind of mathematics or calculus or something like that. And uh yeah. So can you just just tell us a little bit about Greg, the uh, mathematician? Uh, sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that I've been interested in my entire life is um, uh, collective intelligence co uh, uh, and cooperation. And and that, that includes... Um, uh, the things like concurrency, like doing multiple things all at once, yes. right? And as a musician, we know, you know, we know we have to do that, right? <laughs> Whether you're co coordinating your fingers while you're playing the guitar, or you're coordinating your fingers while you're, uh, or you're a drummer, it's it's even more that way. But also, um, I I did I have spent my fair share of hours as a short order cook. <laughs> <laughs> and you really have to be on top of a lot of threads all at once, right? You got to know that, you know, the, the burgers take so much time and the, the fries take so much time. And if you're going to get it all out, so it's, it's all hot, um, then you have to be aware of that. And so I, I, I've, there's been a part of my mind that's always watching all these different kinds of engagements to say, what does this tell me about uh, concurrency and coordination? Um, and if you think about, uh, so, uh, what is it, Noah Yuval Harare, uh, his book, um, Sapiens, um, where, oh, it's, it's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, I, I, he, he describes um, Homo sapiens superpower is coordination. Um, so, you know, like <laughs> um, the, uh, a, a, a given um, uh, uh, Cro-Magnon um, person is no match for a mastodon. But in coordination, they drove them to extinction, right? Um, so, so this is this is something that that is very much a part of who we are at a genetic level. When you say you've been interested in this all your life, what exactly does that mean? When did you become aware of this? Uh, so, my mathematical experience began before I was verbal. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so, so I, I remember, you know, contemplating the meaning and the experience of dimension before I could talk. Wow. 
is 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 coordination is that coordination of dimensions is but that would that be your definition or no no dimen dimension is is correlated to coordination you know we 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 need to invent some kind of space in which we're coordinating mm -hmm. um, see okay right but it's uh but they're they're not the same mm -hmm. um right uh, so so anyway uh at a, at a certain point i became very interested in making um some of my intuitions about coordination very precise um and this had a lot to do with um knowing that we weren't going to be able to build systems that we need to build <laughs> in order to get us get ourselves out of the jam that we're in <laughs> that we created for ourselves <laughs> um on, on, unless we had a very precise understanding of what it means to um coordinate at least in the uh, in, in in terms of computer programs coordinating uh so uh so so I, I work with some of the, the the top researchers in language design for concurrent computation. Uh, I worked uh, directly with Christine Tomlinson and Mark Scavel and Greg Lavender, a bunch of folks on the design and implementation of an actor-based language called Rosette. And this was back in the late 80s and early 90s. And we built a lot of really large scale systems, such as a, a data cleaning application for Bellcore, which was the family of telecommunications companies um, and uh, uh, data cleaning um, uh, and integration uh, applications for Eastman Chemical slash Kodak. Um, and I realized that when we were doing these systems, even though our, our uh, abstractions could help them build um, their applications, uh, which were large scale coordination applications, uh uh in an uh, an order of magnitude less time it was also required a kind a level of of intellectual engagement which you which is very difficult for most humans and and the the sociological literature and psychological literature bears this out so even people who know what they're doing and have solved the problems before <laughs> make incredibly stupid mistakes in uh, when 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 reasoning about these kinds of systems. And so I wanted to provide uh, some mathematical abstractions, which would allow us to solve some of the complexity of that. Uh, and so I thought about it. Uh, I, 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 um, I was exposed to a, a talk by a mathematician computer scientist who's now a, a member of the, a fellow of the Royal Society, uh, Samson Abramsky, and he gave a talk about linear logic which was uh, a, a brand new logic uh, discovered in the late 80s um, that is resource sensitive so it's it's already beginning to be about coordination um i know i'm saying a lot of stuff I'm i'll get to the point very quickly <laughs> yeah. and i hope you don't mind me asking questions also oh, no of course of course interrupt <laughs> interrupt anytime anytime but but so like just a quick digression through logic and it'll pay off later. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's really weird how we have our path through, through our understanding of what logic is. 
So if you think about Aristotelian logic, right, the kinds of machines that they were exposed to were things like catapults, right? <laughs> uh, slingshots, bows and arrows, those kinds of things. You know, it's like you only have so many arrows in your quiver, right? So you fire off your arrows, right? And then you're out of arrows unless you can go either make some or go recover the ones you shot. You're out of arrows. So, so that society, the, the kind of mechanism that they were faced with was clearly bounded by um by resource and yet the logic that they come up with right aristotle three thousand years ago the logic that they come up with is the logic of the digital era the the logic that they come up with is one that that hides inside itself the ability to copy without cost right which is which is exactly what we have in the internet today and why we have all kinds of issues with the dissemination of information because you can you, you can spread a cat meme all over the internet <laughs> at zero cost or at least apparently zero cost <laughs> because it's because it costs nothing to make a copy um and so so it wasn't until the late 80s that we get a notion of logic that is sensitive to resource and so um samson abramsky who later becomes my phd advisor um he gives a talk about linear logic and its relationship to reasoning about concurrency and i was very impressed by this talk this was at a conference where i was also presenting i was very impressed by his talk and i went away and read his paper computational interpretations of linear logic and i said i'm never going to do computer science that isn't like that again <laughs> His paper is beautiful. He start he starts with um, what what most of us think as as sort of logic and its relationship to computation, and then he says, okay, well we're we're gonna um, change the game a little bit so that the logic is more resource conscious. Um, so he goes from intuitionistic logic to intuitionistic linear logic, and he recovers the notion of computation associated with that. And then he goes from intuitionistic linear logic to classical linear logic, which is again another kind of relaxation. The, the system becomes more symmetric, and he recovers the notion of computation that goes with that. And so at each step, he's building an abstract machine, which is perfectly correct with respect to the logic. And I was like, okay, I'm never ever going to build software or do computer science that doesn't have this level of correctness. So um, I think about it some more and I realize that there's this beautiful mathematical phenomena called um, Curry-Howard. And that mathematical phenomena says that um, uh, logic is to types as in types in a programming language as um, as uh, proofs are to programs, right? And so there's this correspondence and that correspondence turns out to be very deep. And, it, and if you investigate it, it runs throughout even classical mathematics. And I know this is a long story, almost done, I promise, almost done. <laughs> I, I have so many questions already. <laughs> Almost done. So, so, so I think about it, and I realize this probably also works for concurrency because it at the time it was only working for um, a sequential notion of computation and a very specific kind of logic. And I said this should work out in the concurrency setting. Um, and so, 
so I, I, I pitched this idea to Abramsky. I said, Curry Howard should extend to the concurrency setting. And, uh, and I want to work this out because if we don't have a logic for concurrency um, that is sort of algorithmically connected to our no notions of concurrent computation, then we will, then it, concurrent programming will be too hard for people to build at scale. And I wrote at this time, you know, I had a corner office in at MCC <laughs> with all the compute toys I could possibly ask for. Um, and I wrote to him and I said, uh, I, I made the pitch and he said, amazing. This is exactly what we're working on. We just started working on this. And so I left my corner office in Austin, Texas for a, <laughs> a little graduate student hovel <laughs> at Imperial College and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, began working on, on that particular puzzle. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, but there's several other steps before I can kind of complete the picture, but oh, I've been yammering on for long enough. Please ask some questions. <laughs> well, <laughs> so first, first of all, linear logic, why is it like, as I imagine, so linear meaning there is, it's linear, right? It's, like, because it's linear in the sense of linear algebra, not linear in the sense of sequential. Okay. It's okay. In, in the sense that you, that there's a, there's a kind of accounting, you know, so one in one out that, that kind of linear. You, you're, you're uh, where, you know, like if you have second order phenomena, right? You have x squared. You know what a linear equation looks like, right? Yeah. So, right, a, a line. Um, and really, what that's that's saying is that there's a there's a kind of relationship between the inputs x and the outputs y, um, where there's no copying uh, or other kinds of dynamics going on, and that's and that's what linear logic uh, characterizes. Yeah. So and uh, concurrency. Uh, coordination. Um, how is that represented? I mean, like obviously, like coordinates is what I imagine. Like yeah. I don't know what what how how is concurrency represented in your in your system? Yeah, yeah. So 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 um, when I got to Imperial, Samson says you should study this calculus called the Pi calculus. Mm -hmm. So I dutifully figure out the pi calculus, and um, uh, and so I can I can. And, it's, and by the way, you know, for for your listeners and for yourself, um, Robin Milner, who invented the pi calculus, he won the Turing Award for this. So this is <laughs> this is okay. some deep stuff, right? Yeah. But it's deep in the same way that Go is deep, right? Very small number of rules, and you know. <laughs> you know millennia of of of, of uh, to, to to play it and enjoy all of its uh, subtleties mm -hmm. um so uh i i look at the pi calculus and the pi calculus is based on a really radical idea that all computation happens by interaction mm -hmm. um so so everything including numbers including strings is represented as patterns of interaction um, and, and, and what is what is the definition of interaction? Uh, so one metaphor that can that can help help to understand this is uh, passing messages. So as musicians, we understand what it means to pass a message, right? Mm -hmm. I, I send you I send you some musical information, and you receive it, and you go, "Oh, okay. Well, here's some musical information back at you." Mm -hmm. um, and 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 as musicians, we know what it's we know that harmony comes out of being able to do that simultaneously. 
Yeah. Um, so this is very much the metaphor that's going on in the pi calculus. So the pi calculus has two basic, so it, it, it says all computation happens in terms of processes that are communicating using channels. Um, so, uh, so you have a, a process that's waiting on a channel for some information, and then we'll, on receipt of that, we'll go on to become another process that has the information available to it. Um, and then you have another process in the asynchronous form of this calculus, you have another process that's just sending information. So it's kind of fire and forget. Um, and, uh, and then uh, beyond that, you have the uh, parallel composition of processes. So putting your bandmates together and, you know, it's like, you know, in, when, when bands are really working, right, you know, all the musicians working together become one musician. <laughs> <laughs> so Pi calculus says all these processes put in parallel composition is also a process. Um, so so that's uh, that's um, uh, another construct. Of course, you have uh, silence or the 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 process that does nothing. And then um, the Pi calculus has uh, another construct, which is um, creating a fresh channel. So making a channel that nobody's ever seen before. And that's basically all the primitives there are in the pi calculus. There's, well, there's some form of recursion or replication. So being able to um, fork off a copy of a process, an exact copy of, or a duplicate form of the process, which is a kind of recursion. And that's it, that's all you need. And that is Turing complete. That, that, that is provably Turing complete. Um, Another another uh, way to come at this is what I call the four C's. So if you're thinking about computation, there, um, first of all, there are lots and lots of models of computation. There's the lambda calculus and the Turing machines and Petri nets and blah, 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 right? And there's a big question um, in the community, which is, why would you use one model versus another? How do you compare and contrast them? Um, so back in the um, mid to late 80s, I came up with a framework for analyzing this. And I said, all right, there are four Cs. One, is it complete? Can I say everything I'd want to say uh, within the model? Two, is it compositional? In other words, can I make programs more complex or richer programs out of smaller, simpler ones? Right, so that's just good engineering, and we do this when we're making musical compositions. Right, we we have little nuggets that we string yeah. together, <laughs> uh, and then um, and then the, and then uh, so so completeness, compositionality, concurrency. Does it have an explicit representation of concurrency? Um, so, like in in musical no notation, we have an explicit representation of concurrency. Right, multiple st stabs is an explicit representation of concurrency. And then finally, does it uh, have a, a, an accounting of resources? So, can you count space and time? Um, and uh, in the late '80s, I wrote down these properties. I analyzed the existing models of computation. I could make retrodictions about the the research. Uh, using these properties. So for example, uh, lambda calculus has no good accounting of resources. And so there were, so I, you know, you, you can predict there will be very, very few papers about the lambda calculus exploring complexity theory. It's because it doesn't have any account of resources. It doesn't give you what complexity is. 
Um, whereas uh, Turing machines are not compositional, even though they have a good accounting of resources. So you won't use Turing machines to reason about refactoring programs, whereas you will use lambda calculus for that. So I could make all these predictions. So the model, this, this uh, analysis of computation uh, made a lot of sense. When I analyzed all the models to date, I saw that nobody checked all the boxes. Not a single one of them checked all the boxes. And so I, I predicted that another one would come along. And lo and behold, the pi calculus came along and it checked all the boxes. And Samson was asking me to go and look at that one. <laughs> so I just told you roughly what the pi calculus does. Now, Robin, um, but so he, let me because like of the of the four C's that you mentioned, like the yeah. uh, you know the concurrency seems to be the biggest problem. Like that, as far as I can tell, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. That yeah. was exactly it. But mm -hmm. it turns out you need all of them working in a certain balanced way mm -hmm. before you you get a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. And and I just I just want to say that there is, this is deep stuff from, from the point of view of human psychology and human cognition, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, like there's a blind spot in humanity's uh, conception of itself in the world when it comes to autonomy and concurrency. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> human societies uh, tend, to, tend to have uh, a, a, some kind of weird fetish for top-down organization, <laughs> even though they can't carry it out, right? They fail miserably. <laughs> um, and, and that's because there seems to be some weirdness in our psychology. So, so, so if you think about it, um, the first model of computation that has this property that we know about uh, in, in, in history is the pi calculus. Mm -hmm. That's in the early 90s. So thousands of years of human cognition and we millennia even, <laughs> you know, like, like more than millennia. And we, we, we don't have a, a good way to think about this or reason about this in a, in a, in, in a, a way that is, um, uh, allows us to make predictions um, until the pi calculus comes along. And, and if you think about how, uh, how much this has stymied our scientific development, um, uh, general relativity is not compositional. And uh, uh, until very recently, the presentations of quantum mechanics were not compositional. And that's why they don't talk to each other. They can't, you know, like we, we're, we're unable to think about the very small and the very large in the same, in the same unified theory of physics because our thinking isn't compositional. So the smartest people ever, you know, like Schrodinger, Einstein, lots of people like that. There's a big hole in their thinking, yeah. and so, so, so you 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 put your finger on it when you said, "Hey, this concurrency stuff seems to be really hard." So that means that the pi calculus has sort of like uh, revolutionized uh, scientific or mathematical thinking, or or right. It's in the so, process of doing so. It so, takes so, a long time for these things to disseminate. Yeah. So that means people are uh, adapting the ideas, or let's say the solutions uh, of pi calculus, in order to come up with complete, um, more complete systems or yes, ways of thinking. But, yes, but remember, human human knowledge is very siloed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
right? So, so like Mavericks, like Bob Kuka and Samson Abramsky and myself, we're talking about this openly, mm-hmm. but it's going to take another 30, 40 years before the physics community en masse or, you know, you know, in the mainstream physics community is going to understand how these techniques work. So then now finally, I can, I can tell you about my work. So I've, I've set up the, <laughs> I've, I've set up the stage. So I looked at Robin's work in detail uh, and I looked at ways to provide categorical models of, of the pi calculus and a bunch of other things. Uh, and, and Samson and I worked on some approaches to categorical models, but I didn't like the, the directions that Samson was taking. I felt that the, the math we were doing was not going to result in software that ordinary software developers could handle. Um, and so the whole the whole the whole challenge was to come up with what was called a a name free or channel free account of the pi calculus. You know, can we can we make a version of the pi calculus where where because what what the pi calculus does is it says if you hand me a theory of names or channels, then I'll give you a theory of processes that use those channels to communicate. That's kind of how it's presented. Um, but the problem is that the theory of the the, uh, the theory of processes makes some requirements on the theory of names that ultimately makes it the theory of names ultimately as powerful as any other computational model. So there's a bug in Robin's proposal. So Robin is, Robin says, you know, if I use an SAT style um, analogy, so se- lambda is to sequential computation as what is to concurrent computation. And he's proposing the pi calculus. It doesn't solve the problem because he needs to import something that was that is equally powerful as a model of computation in order to build his model of computation. So there's a little loop that he that he's in his in his uh, in his math. And I said, hey, why don't we just embrace that loop? And so the row calculus. Um, is a variant of the pi calculus that's much smaller and simpler and much more expressive. And the little mind twist is to say that channels are the codes of processes. So, so you, you, you have a running process, then you can take the code or the address of that process, and that gives you a channel. And then given a channel, you can always go back to um, the running process that it represents. And that's also Turing complete. So it's much smaller, but it gives you higher order phenomena and reflective phenomena. So I can, in the same way today, program ship JavaScript around the internet. I can ship processes around in the row calculus. Um, so so let, me, let, me, let me ask you here. So just uh, as you can imagine, it's difficult <laughs> for me to follow. But if, <laughs> I understand. But, but if you say that the code itself is the channel, right? Um, how how is the code being is how is the code being used as a channel? So basically, it means like if I just think of like like my programming skill from like thirty five years ago doing uh, uh, Pas- Turbo Pascal or something, right? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So so there's like so it's like a function. Is it like a function? Like the channel is like a function? Is that the way to think about it? But obviously, because it's code, it can be a very 
big function, let's say. But is there such a thing as an input and an output? And is that what you mean by a channel? Or what is it? Please not, 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 so think, think about it more like, um, you, you know how a URL gets mm -hmm. you to a resource. So mm -hmm. think about a URL as like a channel or a okay. phone number is like a channel. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what Robin was wanted to avoid, what he was scared so it's, of- It's not an address, right? That's kind of like how I would see it in my worldview. It's like an address. It's, it's, like a it's like a blockchain address, right? So if you think about a blockchain address, someone can go and deposit some Bitcoin in an address and someone else can come along and take that Bitcoin out. Mm -hmm. And that corresponds exactly to sending some information and receiving some information. Okay, so very much like an address. But Robin's channels don't have any interior structure. You can't see, it's like an atom, right? You can't see into it, right? But that doesn't work um, for a number of practical reasons. You need, to, you need to know, like with a URL, there's slashes in it. And they can be as long as you want them to be. Mm -hmm. So instead of using slashes, why don't we just use the code, uh, a computer program code, to be able to make addresses? Okay. The, the code is the address. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, so we're just using it syntactically, and 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 the syntax allows us to differentiate one address from another. So we're not we're not asking the channels to behave yet. <laughs> in the in the in the paper, I actually show how you can make that work too. Um, but but we're just we're just saying that the the address has got to have some rich syntax associated with it. The channel has to have some rich syntax. And where do we get that syntax from? Oh, we just get it from the syntax of processes. That's it. And again, I'm I I'm not a specialist or anything, but it reminds me a little bit of of like the genetic code, right? It just is there. Yes, that's that's exactly it. That was another one. So, so there were multiple factors that went into the design of the row calculus. And one was to make a calculus that corresponded to uh, the abstractions that we have come to um, utilize when reasoning about uh, uh, genotype and phenotype. So process is phenotype and channel is genotype. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now you can think about when you get the, the genes, right, you could instantiate them into another process, right? So, yes. Yeah. Right? So this is exactly it. The, the other one was the yin-yang symbol, right? So processes have inside them channels, which are in fact just, you know, <laughs> right? And that, that kind of thing. So all, all, of, all of these different kinds of balance went into the design of the row calculus. Mm -hmm. So it's... it's some kind of archetype of uh, recursion or representation of recursion somehow where where the, the code basically can eventually start working on itself somehow. Yes, that's exactly right. right. But yeah. in a setting where, where nobody's in charge, where you, mm -hmm. where you have a notion of autonomy mm -hmm. and that autonomy uh, corresponds to um, composition. Right, so you can build societies. You can build. Um, uh, you can you can build tissue out of cells, for example. Yes. Where each each cell is a process, and then you you put all the processes in parallel composition, and that gives you tissue, and and you can climb up the the ladders of of uh, uh, com complexity that way. So you just used the word uh, autonomy again, and you used it before, but I can't remember if you explained, um, you said that uh, concurrency and autonomy are the two big 
problems or misunderstandings that human beings or yeah. things that we can't do well. So, yeah. so uh, can you give an example for autonomy, like why it's so difficult for humans? Yeah, so, so, so you, you, could, you could imagine that um, there's a discipline where the pharaoh tells all the slaves, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, right? And so they're all working, but they're all in this top-down structure. So, so there's, a, there's a kind of concurrency happening, but that concurrency is wedded to a top-down structure. Um, where, whereas the reality of human society is not top-down at all. And in fact, if, like climate change is a really good example. Like we're, we're, we're trying to get, you know, the Paris Accords are really a, an attempt at a top-down solution, right? So all the leaders of all the states get together and they hash it out and then they try to impose those, uh, those uh, uh, restrictions or, or modifications, policies on the populace. But if the populace isn't on board, it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, because the, they're they're acting autonomously in some very real sense, um, and so so this is what I mean: is the independent interaction that doesn't necessarily uh, result in a roll up to to a, a leader. So there's a big difference between having a conductor versus having a band that becomes one person. This is great that you mentioned the conductor because like the um, the word that's kind of like in my head since you even mentioned concurrency was that it only like and this this is I'm really looking forward to your answer like you need some sort of master clock <laughs> right in a sense to have, have some idea what concurrency actually is or like like the question is in in a mathematical model how would you represent that because you can i i guess you can't do that with fractions because it's there isn't a master clock okay there isn't a master clock that's so, and, and, and in fact and and that 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 goes all the way back to general relativity there is no master clock in general relativity right there are, there are events that cannot be ordered right because they're a space-like distance separated from from each other and so and so i so um but what you do have is that when processes synchronize, meaning that one process is handing information to another process, at least for that for that in interaction, uh, they have a common experience of time. That's the concurrency is the experiencing of the same time at that point. Yeah. At, at least at, we touched at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. yeah. And if we if we touch repeatedly, then we can build notions of local clocks. Yeah. 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 And that's what it means to have stretchy time in music, right? We don't have to have a metronome, but we have to touch repeatedly. And as yeah. as long as we're all touching in repeatedly in a in a um organically sensible way, <laughs> then the audience will join us in that sense of time. You know, like for me in the always but especially in the past year like this thought and idea of like the strange attractor uh has come up quite a bit in experiencing like what i do having gone through like the development to be the musician that i am right now but just just realizing that uh making music like at least for me 
always, I have to say, always kind of has this, this characteristic that things rearrange and start kind of like um, oscillating together. Even if you if you'd never if they were never intended to oscillate together somehow, and and really just the the intention of bringing people together in a band, for example, as you were saying, or playing notes into a looping system, or like a, a feedback system on a mixing desk, or like all of this seems to be kind of like always finding its state of resonance, and. And and is is something like that just for me to understand what you mean when you talk about this local clock? Let's say, where does it come from? Does it come from? Is it some sort of uh, oscillation or how? Can you explain yeah, yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we, we certainly we, we we can certainly understand what it means to repeatedly interact. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so we, we can imagine that um, as we are in this conversation, we're kind of passing the token back and forth. Right. So I say something, you say something, you say something, I say something. Right. And so, and so there's this, there's this repeated or iterated exchange of information. Right. And so for some bounded scope, right. So for some fixed number of iterations, for example, that's that's a kind of that's a local uh, a place where we have where we where we've touched often enough um, that that we we can experience a time <laughs> and and the extent to which that's regular you can make it more and more precise. Yeah, that's kind of I guess where my question really is: like, has there is there some sort of pattern, let's say pattern recognition involved that kind of like. Like at which, well, I guess it's kind of like the uh, um, the notion of of, of randomness versus uh, pattern, right? Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. is 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 like would like a well, I guess you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's difficult for me to put it into words. But no, but I, I I do very much understand what you're trying to say. So so if we think about a really brain dead computation, right? So so a brain dead computation would be. Um, process A uh, sends a token to process B, and once process B has received the token, it gives it back to A. And then we can write down a simple recursive um, expression that will give that pattern. So, and that's now a metronome, right? Mm -hmm. and, and because it's so regular and stupid, <laughs> the, um, the only, the only, um, the only stretchiness would be if someone could get in the middle of that, <laughs> right? So, so you could, like, if the if the speed of exchange was even if the speed of exchange was stretchy, the two processes wouldn't know it, right? Like the you know, like sometimes the exchange takes a millennia, and sometimes it takes a heartbeat, and right, but they wouldn't know that. All they know is the the. You know, I give the token to you, you give the token back to me, unless they can compare it to other exchanges. Right. And, and, and that's, that's right. And at least for many physicists, this is really what time is, is lots and lots of different interactions that can all be correlated. 
think I've, I just had a huge insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, please share, please share. <laughs> uh, so I guess like one of the mistakes I'm making when, when um, thinking about um, computation is that I'm generalizing it too much in the sense of that I'm always also thinking that a human be being or because you use the example of human like us talking to each other yeah but i would say that i i could totally see how in a system that is the kind of computer that we know nowadays that you could make these assumptions that you're making and that this is absolutely kind of obvious even even for me let's say Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if we if we had like say that biological computer involved in a process, I wonder if the rules would be completely different. Well, the idea is to build sets of rules so that you can get to that level of complexity, and you can you can yeah. peel back the 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 layers of complexity and get back down to uh, simple clocks. Right? Yes. So you can build more and more richer kinds of clocks out of smaller, simpler ones. Yeah. yeah. So this this is like um, maybe in the mid '80s, I read some uh, Douglas Hofstadter books, and uh, and like the uh, simplest example that he gives for like I think he's using the like the flushing mechanism in the toilet where you have the the floater, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as sort of like the most uh, a basic uh, idea of a feat of a, of a process that has some sort of an analytical tool inserted into the into the circuit, which yes. in this case is just the floater, right? Yeah. So so like um, so, what you just said about the complexity, um, I guess like all you would would really need, like if if what Hofstadter said kind of is <laughs> right anyway, but for me it's it seemed like to make sense is that you all all you all need the recursion and you need to kind of like insert that code let's just call it code yeah. so you you kind of like you know put put the code into some sort of feedback loop and and that would give you and i mean this that would give you the complexity that's what i experience when i use feedback loops even in the digital laptop absolutely and and and, and in the row calculus, inserting that code is just putting it in parallel composition with the code for the, you know, the the, the water flow and the flusher, right? All, all of those things just naturally fit side by side. And, and, and now there doesn't have to be anyone in charge. Yeah. There doesn't have to be. And, and, and this corresponds to what we see in nature, right? There is no king slime mold. <laughs> Uh, cell that's telling all the slime molds, okay, now it's time to aggregate, right? Right. And there's no king firefly that's telling all the fireflies, okay, now it's time to synchronize, right? It, it happens, it happens organically uh, through, through protocol. Um, and that's, uh, and, and so, so the idea is, can we build, can we build computational representations of these kind of phenomena? Because that's how nature scales. Was was the pi calculus um, able to to give us that 
that kind of structure? No, right? Because the as you no, say, it does. It, it, it does. does. It does. But the problem is that the pi calculus has a hole in it. The, the, the pi calculus is like if you give me a theory of names, I'll give you a theory of processes that 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 coordinate over yeah, those I, names. Okay, I see. I right, see. and so yeah. so what I was trying to, you know, another another um, uh, inspiration for the design of the row calculus was I was I was thinking about string theory, um, and but from the perspective of a computer scientist and not a physicist, and 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 it occurred to me that that I I could make a, um, computers of arbitrary complexity out of the vibrational modes of strings. So if I if I accept the hypothesis of universe as computer, then I'm building the computer out of a bunch of computers. <laughs> Did I make any progress? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so then I asked myself, well, you know, as, as I said before, with the 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 hole in the pi calculus, I said, well, can I just embrace that loop and make something of the loop rather than uh, rather rather than, than than to throw up my hands in despair, and that's where the row calculus came came into being. Sounds really wonderful. I mean, um, how how popular has it gotten, if at all? Well, so so um, you know, it's it's it was published in peer reviewed journals mm. um, and uh, or conferences, and um, and then there are there are groups like the University of Aalborg. Uh, has a research group that's been looking at the, the row calculus for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Christian Williams, who is, I don't know if you know who John Bies is, but John Bies is one of, you know, the this century's most smartest uh, uh, mathematical physicists. And, and so he's, I've collaborated with uh, uh, a, a few of his students. Um, and uh, and uh, so Christian Williams, as a part of his PhD work, uh, came up with a formal model for the row calculus on the way to another one of my uh, mathematical <laughs> things, which is all about all, all about where logics come from. But we don't have to get into that. Um, uh, so, so there's that. And then um, our chain uh, used the row calculus to, um, to, as the, the basis of its architecture. And um, because of that, our chain is now the most scalable blockchain on the planet. So um, our chain scales linearly, whereas the so so for the last fifty years or so, we've been scaling software systems by adding hardware. Like you can't just sit around and pray that someone's going to come up with a software innovation. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, you you say no, no, no. We're just going to throw hardware at the problem um, because hardware is commodity, and and you know it's like you you, you can manufacture large scale systems even out of unreliable components. Um, and I, I just read this wonderful book, Turing's Cathedral, um, by uh, someone who had kind of a, a ringside seat, um, one of a Freeman Dyson's uh, kids wrote this book and so he he talks about the the um, building of um, uh, ENIAC and maniac which were responsible for all the calculations involved in the uh, hydrogen bombs <laughs> um but but anyway it's like 
even as early, like before there were, you know, <laughs> even desktop computers, there were these large scale computers. And, and it was the same philosophy. We scale by, by assembling lots of components, assuming that some percentage of them are going to fail. Right. So, so that's, that's how it works. But existing blockchains, they get slower as you add hardware. But our chain gets faster as you add hardware. Uh, so, so the, the, the numbers that we have currently are we get about a thousand transactions per second per node in the network per CPU. So if you have a node of, if you have a network of 10 nodes, each, each node has 10 CPUs, that's 10,000 transactions per second. 20 node network, each node has 20 CPUs, that's 20,000 transactions per second and so on up to about a thousand. And then you start to get diminishing returns. Um, but the, at a thousand, you're talking about a million TPS, which is very, very fast. <laughs> and so that has been accomplished by applying the row calculus or by building yeah. on the row calculus. Yeah. So the, the key in, the key insight is that most transactions are isolated. So I'll, I'll give you two metaphors. Metaphor number one: Imagine somebody buying an empanada uh, from a street vendor in uh, Santiago. Mm -hmm. And now imagine somebody else at the same time buying some grilled tofu from a street vendor in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Almost certainly those two parties don't share the same bank account. <laughs> and, and as a result, those transactions don't touch the same resources. And as a result, um, they can go forward concurrently. Right. And in fact, that's how they work in today's infrastructure. Well, like the global financial system scales because of all the concurrency and all the isolation. And so the row calculus takes that into account and that's how it provides that scaling. So basically it takes into account the probability of. It's not probability. Yeah. 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 Okay. We, we can actually detect, we can statically detect when two transactions touch the same resources. So when they do, we say, we got to put one in front of the other. Yeah, uh, and, and that's where get, things get slowed down. Just That's that. correct, because- Yeah, yeah. yeah. they, they right? have to, yeah. They have to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but but that's, uh, so, so the row calculus allows us to uh, do that analysis and make things run as fast as they can go, as opposed, like Ethereum says, um, we're going to sequence, we're going to serialize all of those transactions. <laughs> no, <laughs> never going to scale. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. So, um, because also for me, it was, was always difficult to imagine how parallel processing could work. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you have just described basically by the example with the to people buying stuff where they don't access the same account. So it's basically that question, right? That you have to uh, ask yourself an answer for how to make things run in parallel. You got right? it. You got it. Exactly. And, and the, the model of message passing lines up with transactions, right? So we say, let's call the account number, the channel. Yeah. Right. So if I'm, I can put funds into a channel and I can take funds out of the channel. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the, and so, so now that you can see that the abstraction of the, the row calculus just fits perfectly with that kind of information flow and not by accident. It's 
by design. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you end up, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, again, it's obvious how from your scientific work, you would arrive at our chain, right? But, yeah. but what happened? Like, like, what did which people did you meet, or like, how did how did it come about? <laughs> so that's so that's that, that's great. So so I mean, the, the larger the larger scale uh, um, perspective on this is, um, I I see that we have a problem societally, and that we're going to need new coordination tools. Um, at first, I'm just working with the pi calculus, and I use. And, and, you know, I, I tend to use the corporate infrastructure to serve my ends. <laughs> so so I, I made a proposal to Microsoft about a workflow kind of technology using the Pi calculus, and that was BizTalk process orchestration. And um, that was a very successful project, by the way. Um, I think in 2004, it won um, Product of the Year Award. Um, and along the way, I kind of got enough insights that I could begin to formulate the row calculus. Um, and I wanted to push the biology side of this more and Microsoft didn't want to go in that direction. So I said, well, <laughs> I've got the tech, <laughs> I've got the contacts. And so I went off and raised money for, for a biotech company. Um, and you know to, to, to cut cut out a bunch of you know uh, meandering at one point i was approached by an entrepreneur who was very worried about the economic imbalance that we had like you know very very few haves very lots and lots of have-nots coupled with a kind of panoptic a panopticon style um, social media where Facebook can see everything about you and we can see nothing about Facebook. Um, and so he wanted to build a decentralized social media. Uh, so this was before there was blockchain, <laughs> before there was anything. And I thought about what he was talking about and I said, yes, we can do this. Um, but I, I didn't see how to decentralize the payment system. And, and so around 2014, I looked at Bitcoin and I said, oh, this blockchain idea would be how we would, how we would decentralize the payments part of this. Um, and then I looked very carefully at the, the proof of work architecture and the Bitcoin architecture and the Ethereum architecture. And I realized none of that would scale. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll build the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll build the decentralized social media. <laughs> so that's kind of how Archin got started. Um, yeah. Oh, what yeah. an ad adventure! Oh, tell me about it. And all all of this is 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 in service of a, a very. Uh, it, the reality is that we are so screwed because of the way we have lived on planet Earth. Um, just one simple example. Uh, we're so far off with respect to the Paris Accords that we're likely to blow past 2.7 degrees Celsius temperature rise in the next 30 years. What that means, though, is that we're likely to blow past 1.5 degrees 
Celsius temperature rise in a much shorter time frame, possibly as little as 10 years, somewhere, but maybe 20 years, but somewhere in that time frame, right? You know, uh, our kids will, you know, maybe not yet have kids. We might not even be grandparents when we hit that temperature rise. Unfortunately, the tropical zone around the planet becomes uninhabitable past 1.5 degrees temperature rise. And then you look at the numbers, 40% of the world's population lives in that area. So we're talking 2.8 billion people become climate refugees in as little as 10 years. Mm -hmm. That's a humanitarian crisis like we've never seen in the history of the human race. And I view our ability to respond to those challenges as coordination problems. And I'm not the only one, like in, in Bill Gates's recent uh, 60 Minutes interview, um, he says that, you know, dealing with the consequences of climate change are going to be like, a, a, a will require global coordination that exceeds the coordination we saw in World War II. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of global scale coordination we're going to need. And as we, as I mentioned before, attempting to only use top-down models fails miserably. So I'm trying to build a public um, a global compute infrastructure so that we can self-organize and self-assemble uh, to, to, to uh, foster bottoms-up solutions. So that's really what this has been about for me for the last 30 years. Quite an adventure though, right? I've had to reinvent the foundations of computing. And <laughs> yeah, but that, that makes sense uh, though. And, and I think like the uh, grander um, psychological, um, um, let's say um, makeup, you know, most, well, some societies have, right? Like there is this, uh, like for example, in Germany here, if you if you take the uh, the bus and you don't have a ticket, uh, you may go to jail. Wow! Like there's there's like this crazy. It's it's like an old law that's from from the Nazis still, right? It's wow. still in place, and it's kind of it shows and and like if if somebody goes to jail, uh, like the daily costs are I don't know two thousand dollars or something. So like you know <laughs> if somebody doesn't pay it, and 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 you see it's that kind of it's that kind of. Uh, thinking which also leads to uh um cap well capitalism same kind of like idea like the profit the idea of the profit i think it would be it could be easy if we would say it's okay if you also have money it's okay if you can also survive and and it would put humanity in a completely different place where we would not have to uh exploit so much you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hear you. I hear you. And so, but, but, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this from, from this perspective. Like, I, I, and, and, amazing that you are kind of like thinking in terms of building a structure um, that allows um, a different kind of interaction and coordination. Um, and I, I'd really like to see it uh, come to fruition. 
um, you know, very so, soon. So would I. <laughs> so yeah. would I. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about where we are. Uh, we're, we're demonstrating scale. We've got, um, you know, we've been in mainnet for two years. Uh, the testnet has these block merge features. Um, so we're, we're, we're demonstrating, we, we just finished a, an NFT proof of concept. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's all coming together. Uh, we're in the middle of another $30 million, uh, fundraise. So, and we're, we're, we're getting traction on that. Um, so it's, it's, uh, but, but, but at the end of the day, you know, you can build these tools and people won't use them potentially. This is why I, I, you know, the other side of what I do, the whole musical stuff, I believe is, is also important. I know that what gets me out of bed <laughs> is not just the math, but very much the music. And I, I can tell you that my day is completely transformed after I put in my practice time. Uh, the energy and the openness and the flow is, you know, is is there uh, after after I put in my practice. Teaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but also I think like like I, I, you know we we talked about how compositionality is a is a, a blind spot in human cognition and and society, societal cognition. Um, also, the the power of musical coordination seems to be a blind spot. Like I, I, this weekend, I, I gave a talk at the Foresight Institute's Vision Weekend. And um, the Foresight Institute is, it's a STEM culture, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. So STEM culture is so refreshing to be in, in that culture as opposed to talking to tons of investors. <laughs> Um, but, 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 you know, uh, the, but the, but the thing is that like, um, some of the technical leadership at the Foresight Institute, they, they've, they've written a, a draft of a book that's all about intelligent cooperation. And there is not a single chapter about music, not one word about the power of the, but I believe that it provides fundamentally different models of coordination. I mean, we can't deny the power of music to organize human behavior from, from symphonies at the city level to, you know, stadium level rock bands, you know, people are organized by music. That, that's, that's unassailable, right? <laughs> we, can, we can measure that in the billions of dollars in terms of human transactions. Um, but, but, and also, you know, just, you know, imagine your favorite movie now take away the soundtrack, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you keep the dialogue, but no music. <laughs> what does the experience become? Um, so, so we know that music is coordinating and, you know, harmony. there's no harmony if the trombone has to wait for the saxophone to finish its line, right? <laughs> but, but in speech, we take turns. Yeah, I, I think I think that uh, sometimes I think that the main reason why I can talk with you, for example, about your field of work is not because you're a musician, but it's because I'm a musician. What I'm trying to say with that is that sort of like uh, studying music has put me in the frame of mind that that gives me the tools to understand other people's uh, disciplines. Yes, yes, yes. Right? 
Yeah, and 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 I think that's the, it, that is sort of like uh, speaking of superpower, right? <laughs> like music is kind of is kind of a superpower. Oh, uh, totally! I agree, one hundred percent. Yes, 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 one hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is why you know I I, I feel like. Um, you know, we we can we can provide all the bits and bytes and all the technical tools, but uh, uh, another way I sometimes like to say it is, you know, you can discipline the body. Right? You, you you know, we all know what it's like to you know submit oneself to an exercise regime or or a diet or whatever, and you can also discipline the mind. Right? We we know what it's like to to go through an academic course or or, or um, but. The heart doesn't work that way. It, it, the heart works via re, more about it's more about receptivity as much as it is about activity, and 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 I feel like music is the, the coordination models that really work when it comes to music have something to do with the heart. So, yeah, for sure, and. Uh... You know, as an educator, um, that is like it's the biggest uh, lesson I've learned is that there, there is no such thing as like, a, as you say, as a purely mental or physical discipline. It's there is there is that as you call it hard, like there is that whatever that power that is. Uh, ineffable right that uh, yes. yes and 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 that and that is really that's what we need to learn to uh access as as uh human beings right yeah. and 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 so for example like like with uh some people i work with for it just a stupid example there are people who don't do their homework right but they do come for every single lesson they are always there and so there's this, this, you know, like, I think there's, you don't really, there's not that one way, there's not that one way to, to, to practice your discipline. Yes. There yes. is, there is, there's, there's like, it's like a, it's a, not multi it's, it's a multidimensional thing. Like, you, you know, there's, if what you have, but if you, what, what you need to learn is to come to these meetings, then that is the lesson. And not the fact that you're trying to play a C major arpeggio, right? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. you see, I mean, so so it's it's yeah. really it's really it's really wonderful because music kind of like allows for all all of these psychological, physical, uh, and emotional uh, like like processes to sort of like rearrange themselves. And as you say, there's no such thing as like a top-down thing. Everything is kind of in flux and is rear is is you know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm to absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm right, and that's why I I feel like like because I I walk around with with a question. You know, like what am I doing with my time when I'm playing music? Mm -hmm. Right. I know I need to because <laughs> my life degrades. But but in in terms of our clear and present dangers, what's the role of my musical activity in terms of that? And these are just some guesses that I'm making. With with respect to that, um, uh, yeah. One is I think we we can't ignore 
how music coordinates people at scale. Uh, and, the, you know, it's like there was a soundtrack to the 60s, right? <laughs> there was this, the 60s was a real, real shift in, in, in uh, societal organization. Uh, and there was a there was a soundtrack to it, and I think that that we we need to contemplate how we might um, how we might consciously and deliberately develop a soundtrack to this transition period in human society where we're not going to be we're not going to be able to live the way we have lived in the past. And I I think that it goes further, like the the example you've just given us that like somehow like. It goes from the individual to the to the society, but it also goes from the individual to the in society, to uh. to the parts of you, to your internal communication. And by making music, by practicing music, even if you're on your own, like you don't have to play in a band necessarily, you kind of practice that communication, and and that is that is sort of like the power we have over the world somehow like how do i talk with myself how do i how do i communicate with myself and in turn how do i communicate with other people mm -hmm. and and so that's that's why this this uh, uh you know what happens nowadays with 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 uh not just with social media but already with tv is right that there is like this disconnect between like what you think is important right like you know knowing what's happening in the world but what what does it really matter for being here and and being a good a, making a good contribution you know in that moment and in the environment you're in and that that's that kind of disconnect uh i think uh, music that's why i think i feel so good when i when i actually practice or you know play music uh, in a day because it sort of like reconnects me with the here and now Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting. I, I, I can, you know, in, in many ways, my musical practice r reminds me of what what happens in 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 my meditation practices, where it's like the you know, if even even in a simple meditation practice where I'm just attending to my breath, I can see the transition points. It's like I'm climbing the spiral staircase. And but I forget, you know, every time I, I go, I go to that, that, you know, put my ass on the pillow. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like, I've forgotten. Oh, oh, yeah, this is this is how this works. You know, I don't I, I, I get or have that remembering only after I've done a few turns around the spiral. And it's the same with the music. It's like, a, a, you know, my inner experience of the coherence of my practice shifts after a certain level of engagement which then which then you know turns me around the spiral so i can i can engage in a better way which will create another shift does that make any sense i don't feel like i'm being very articulate it, it all makes sense always <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. with the um uh role calculus i i i would just say that you have sort of um, um, found a very fundamental, um, just for lack of a better word, like principle that um, helps you understand 
understand in inverted commas. Uh -huh. uh, most of the um, most of what we can see, what we can experience. Um, what I mean by that is that, like, we can come up with a model for consciousness um, mm. within that idea, right? And mm. and you can, as you say, it's you can apply to biology, mathematics, computer science, probably psychology whatever like it's 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 it's, 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 it's kind of like universal mm -hmm. um so what i'm interested in you as somebody who has you, you you dove that deep you know like you take that dive every day right like yeah, yeah and you, yeah. as you said at the very beginning i like that very much you have to be very careful not to uh, make wrong assumptions even though you work with it, with this material every single day like you still need to be very careful um, how, what kind of influence have, has this knowledge had on your life as a human being in this world where there's all sorts of different kinds of beings, let's say? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the, the <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so, like, in some sense, I feel like it's like I have a cheat sheet because mm -hmm. it it allows me to have a certain um, helicopter perspective mm -hmm. on a lot of phenomena. Mm -hmm. uh, it also it fundamentally changed uh, my experience of the world I'm living in in the sense that I began to suspect that was, there was a lot more life than I had previously thought. So in, in, in some sense, I, I you know, was heavily influenced by the Western scientific viewpoint. Uh, and I, I thought that life was kind of off in this little compartment <laughs> and most of the rest of the universe was sort of in inanimate or dead or you know didn't have life characteristics and but once i once i um understood the row calculus and by the way the, the, the what i've described is really just a tiny portion of a much larger mathematical theory that extends in lots of different directions <laughs> um but but I I began to realize that that I I could contemplate different kinds of physics because I had this under my belt and so so as a simple example and who knows if this is true but at least I could begin to think this way um, in modern physics we think of electrons for example as fungible uh, so the universe doesn't change if I take two electrons and I swap them right um, so just like you know uh the balance if i have two cash registers at the store and i take a dollar out of one and a dollar out of the other and i put them in the opposite registers the balance in the store intake doesn't change at all so um but but i began to realize that maybe that's only because we're separated from those entities by the scale of observation what if there actually is a principle of natural selection going on that is that because you know our observations of these things is going is is cr uh, creating generations of of selective pressure on them that you know they're actually going through 
you know, like eons of evolution by the time we got into our next, <laughs> our next uh, uh, observation. And, and so they're relatively stable in the same way that, you know, the species of dog is relatively stable, right? Because, you know, we, we put certain selective pressures on that species, right? Um, but if you were to look at it from, from the perspective of the origins of the universe, that species is not stable at all, right? You know, at some point the the sun's going to expand and eat up the earth and, <laughs> and there won't be any dogs in, in, unless they get to outer space. <laughs> um, so, so it's not very stable at, at that level of scope and scale. So, so, uh, and, and the more I began to realize that there's enough structure at all scales of the universe to support um, intelligence, affect, evolution, you know, all the things that, that make us special, <laughs> you know, I could find at every level of proposed structure of the universe. And so I began to realize, actually, I'm probably living in, like, like the fabric of space-time itself is probably alive. Um, and, and like, once I had that, that guess, that hypothesis, it was like, it was like I stepped into a different world. It's like across the threshold. I don't know how to say it. It was like, wow, <laughs> it's so much more alive than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it, and again, to me, it makes total sense what you're saying. It makes total sense. Like for me, the interesting thing is that that kind of experience of being alive, I first had it when I was able to live uh, a feedback loop in my mind. Like wow. when I was able to install something that was self-generating and that I... was, that was, that was the first time in my life where I felt alive. It was kind of like, um, I've just, you know, said that in some other, uh, conversation actually, where, yeah. where my, where re I realized I was able to actually ask the question and I was, able to ask the question in such a way that it became a feedback loop. And, and that was the moment where I had that sort of experience of being alive. And as you say, experiencing everything as being alive. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I, I, I think that there's, um, if, you, if you look at, uh, again, the, the, the Western scientific viewpoint on life, doesn't really, it, it, it doesn't have a good explanation about the nature and origin of life. Um, and especially the idea of trying to get life to come out of non-living things is hard. <laughs> but but, but what, what if, what if, you know, life was built in from the beginning? <laughs> so at least that's, that's a, that's, it's, it's an alternative. I'm not saying that it's necessarily right. And there may be, maybe there is a kind of, uh, you know, non-equilibrium thermodynamics view of life, but. But in a way you, you could say, how could it not be? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That, that's going to, yeah. Exactly. So, so those, those are, those are two ways that, that row calculus, you know, changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. One, one thing that, that, that has been the strangest um, kind of weird spiritual injunction, my, a lot of my um, 
technical life has been about these strange loops, these reflective loops. Um, and, and, you know, what, what do they mean for computation? What do they mean for consciousness? You know, all of the, all of the things that they normally, you know, people talk about them. Um, but you could also contemplate strange loops in music. So you could, you could contemplate, uh, the idea of encoding information that you want to pass to, for example, another musician in a musical phrase, and then in such a way that it's very conscious and, and deliberate, right? So you're, you're spe spelling out to the musician, you know, do this next or, you know, or whatever, you know, you're, you're passing some, some information along uh, and, and that's intentional. Uh, and so, so you could, you could, you could therefore build music that talks about itself. Right. And I have had the weirdest injunction that that's not for me to go explore. Yeah. It's so yeah, weird. That's, you know, like my, 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 that's my, my play notes algorithm basically does that. Uh -huh. Right. It's, it's, it's something that I have come up with when, when I was 17 or so, and I'm now using it to compose. It's a very simple algorithm. It's uh -huh. basically just creating, uh, um, like numbers that are just a pitch structure that's self-similar, like the intervals, uh -huh. intervals, um, encoded, like everything is self-similar and uh -huh. it's, it's absolutely fascinating to, to work with that material because, because of that very, 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 I have to use the word here, maybe it's wrong, like logical or permutational sure. structure. Yeah. Um, the material can be used in almost any way. It has hmm. such a powerful organization in it that it's sort of it's sort of impossible to uh, to destroy it. Uh, you, you, uh, can, you, you can you can put it in canon with itself. You can you could split it in half and put those two on top of each other. You can do all sorts of manipulations of that material, uh -huh. and and it will always be better than a random string of notes. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I need to, I need to uh, just uh, maybe give you some music that uses that process. It's really yeah. it's really fascinating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know, like um, uh, when you were talking about like language and music, for example, like one of my very first experiments as a fifteen year old was with, with my Atari ST. Um, <laughs> was to, um, you know, I, I had just read uh, another Hofstetter book uh, and, and it was about isomorphism and like, you know, translating uh, the ASCII numbers of letters to, to MIDI pitch, right? And, sure, and, sure. and I, I did that with like a Lewis Carroll poem and it sounded horrible. I like, I realized, <laughs> right, I realized right away, oh, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, there's like the, the information may be isomorphic, but like, we cannot pick yeah. it up. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't translate because it's a different medium. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's when I, that's when I realized that the, 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 the smallest unit for music is not one number. It's not, is not, it's not that, uh, that one pitch, but it is an interval. You have to have the relation built mm. into the main unit. The, the, the smallest unit has to have a relation 
represent a coordination actually in a way uh -huh. Uh, uh -huh. in it and then if you build on top of that you build with that then things are working in the in the musical world oh it's, interesting it's, but if you just take if you just take numbers that they they don't they don't represent a relationship um yep. then it doesn't doesn't work like like yeah anyway but we can we can talk more about that off camera but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been so wonderful to finally get to talk to you about these things and um likewise thank you for the opportunity i really hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we could share yes and, and unless you have something else to say <laughs> let's let's call it a day perfect Yes. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so what, what do you usually write under your emails? Uh, love to all beings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Greg. Thank you. Bye bye for now. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. For now. Ciao.